Hello and welcome to the Me and My Golf podcast. We're your hosts and PGA golf coaches, Piers Ward and Andy Proudman. Each week we're going to share with you our 20 plus years of coaching experience to bring you top tips, the latest information and trends, along with some of the world's best in the golf industry to help you play the best golf of your life. So what are we waiting for? Let's get to it and help you take charge of your game. So Dave, thanks for joining us on the podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for having us here at this beautiful facility. Thanks. Uh, we first um, met you and Greg at the uh, a, a seminar in Coventry. It was a winter's day. It was Warsaw. It was the best. Was it Warsaw? Sorry, no, it was Warsaw. Yes, sorry. It was yeah. a football pitch, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah, yes. yeah. The Saddlers, they're called. That's right. <laughs> in 2006, which is, I mean, seems, didn't, doesn't seem that long ago. Actually, no, years, no. I mean, 13, 13 years, years ago. 13 years ago. Yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> that was our first introduction to TPI, and I think, from, from our side of things, you know, we'd like to thank you guys because you've had a massive impact on helping us understand golf as better, you know, and introducing the, the body swing connection, if you like, and, and it's been a, played a big role in our coaching. For the guys listening to this, can you talk a little bit about, if they don't know, what sure. TPI is and sort of how you've come about to sort of get to where you are? Yeah, so, you know, TPI was started back in 2003 here in Oceanside, California, which we're, we're about an hour and a half south of LA, about 40 minutes north of San Diego. And it was really built around, we created the first Olympic training center for golf, right? So Tidelist at the time bored into the concept of, hey, we should test the best players in the world and see what they do, see what they're capable of doing. So we came up with our physical assessments, understanding the body, how they moved, um, looking at biomechanics, and basically merging the two together to go, okay, why is that guy so good, right? And then figuring out when guys had different swings, why they were still so good. So we noticed that it's very obvious that not everybody can swing the golf club the same way, but you know, how do you take a, a Jim Furyk and a Tiger Woods and go, well, they can both play on the same playing field, yet they have total different swings. Well, we started to notice patterns. We started to notice that the kinematic sequence and how they use their bodies was very similar regardless of how they looked. Yeah. And then the way they looked was really determined by the way they moved. So we came up with a very simple assessment tool. And you know, I was a golf professional for many years. It was a teacher. And I was frustrated with the fact that a lot of my students, some would get better and some wouldn't. And you know, it was frustrating because you're like, well, you know, I'm good at this. I, why isn't everybody getting better? And it wasn't until I met my partner, Dr. Greg Rose, whose background is in engineering, biomechanics, and understanding the human body. And he showed me a very simple movement screen that you could go through that would show me how you moved. And based on that, I could match it to the swing and go, well, that makes sense. You're gonna struggle doing this because you have no internal hip rotation or you have a tight thoracic spine and that's why your swing is short. So it started to make so much sense. And then that's how we kind of convinced Titleist to build this. We got to test the best players in the world and then we filter that down to everybody else. And then about 2006, seven, which six yeah. was one of our first seminars, we started in the, the seminar business, educating other golf professionals like yourself on what we would learn. And now we're fortunate we have 23,000 TPI certified really? experts in 62 countries around the world. It's, it's kind of humbling, it's pretty yeah. cool. I remember that actually when we did the first, we signed up to TPI level one, and I think the first- That September, the yeah, day after, the Yeah, I think the right. day after we'd been, or a couple of days after, the, we're like, right, okay, we're gonna screen everybody now. <laughs> and the first guy that I screened was a, probably a 75-year-old guy yeah. who really couldn't move that well. Yeah. But it was great because, you know, all of a sudden we'd been through the training and we understood a little bit more. And we, all of a sudden it made sense why people would struggle with certain things. And it was like, okay, now we can really understand what the person's doing. And, 
understand why they struggle with this way and why it's hard, so hard for them to fix it. And I think that was really just giving us the, uh, the understanding of each individual. And I think from that side of thing, now our coaching is totally different to what it was you know, 12, 13 years ago. I think, I think everyone who had a lesson that Monday, though, probably needs a refund because I'm not sure it was the best lesson they ever probably had. Yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> well, and, you know, this is the other thing. When you, when you screen people and you look at how somebody moves, a lot of great players don't move well, right? So do you, not everybody moves perfectly. In fact, of the thousands of screens that I've done, I've probably only ever had five people pass every single test. Now, there's like 16 tests we take them through. And these aren't hard to do. Anybody can try and do them. But to pass everyone perfectly, that's really difficult to do. And so when you look at the best players in the world, probably what's most interesting to me is how come that guy can make a million dollars a year, but he fails half of our tests or yeah. more, right? I mean, I had a golf professional in Australia once that failed every test except the wrist release screens. So we do these screens on the wrists, forearm rotation. He failed all the body movement stuff. And I'm going, my gosh, this guy's, he's got to be horrendous. And the guy, well, he's one of the best golf professionals in Australia okay. in terms of a player. And I'm thinking to myself, well, what are you going to tell this guy? And I go, you know, well, I hope he has a really short swing. And he basically uses his arms and he starts laughing. And he goes, that's what I do. And he shows me his swing. He's got this short little swing, hinges his wrists, rotates his forearms, and all he does is hit a little draw. And he goes, and I just do that every time. And I'm like, perfect. There's a body swing connection. What his body did matched what he was trying to do in his yeah. golf swing perfectly. So we're not trying to get everybody to change their bodies. I'm just trying to say, understand how you move and then go after that. Build a swing around the way you move because that's your best chance of being successful. Look, and this is exactly right, isn't it? Because there's so much content out there, whether it's on TV, whether it's on YouTube or other social media, people can see the best players in the world swing. Yes. Now then when you go, right, okay, I want to swing like Rory, I want to swing like DJ, yes. that's when a lot of problems occur, occur because as we've just said, you know, your body cannot move that way. But I think it's also, you know, for, for, for golfers, and we just did a, a video in the Impact Show talking about bending the left arm and yes. lifting the lead heel. Yep. So, you know, there's, 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 you've got to find ways around that. So how long did it take you guys to actually really understand this? this process obviously you started as you said back 2006 is when you were doing the seminars sure but how long because obviously would have been some failings in doing this of course there was so you know I think when we first started um, you know you didn't really know what you were going to find and you know a lot of times as a golf professional I would have somebody come in and you'd take video and you'd look at them and like most golf pros too we put you side by side by somebody else and then we try and get you to go down that track and talk about that right and then what I found was I was like that doesn't really gel, like, because that guy can't move like that person. So, you know, we would keep going down that track of, okay, but why can't you do this? Yeah. And we would just, as golf professionals, and what a lot of golf pros are good at, is we, we just start figuring out, well, try this, try this, try this. And we have this toolbox, mm -hmm. and the better the golf professional, the more tools they have in their box. And eventually something sticks and it works, and we're like, let's go with that. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't last. And it doesn't last because what happens is the body finally goes, yeah, this worked for a day, but I can't keep doing this. I'm in pain. Mm -hmm. and, and that's when the breakdown occurs, right? So it was probably, you know, we had a lot of trial and error. You know, I remember when we first walked into this room we're in right now, back in 2004, Wally Uline had arranged for about 30 of the best players in the world to be here, unbeknownst to Greg and I. <laughs> so imagine two young guys walking in with this idea, and they've got down the road, we have La Costa, and they used to have the match play there. 
Well, we walk in this room and we kind of were like this because sitting here we had, you know, we had Davis Love and Phil Mickelson and Jose Maria Lavabo and they were all sitting in this room, Marco Mira, Curtis Strange, and just looking at these two young guys like, well, why are we here? And Wally's like, you can have, we want you to be tested. These guys are going to test you. And we were like, we are? <laughs> so we had at it, right? So we, we got right out of the gate a group of the elite at the time. And you could see immediately, we were like, wow, look at this. This is why they do this. This is why they do yeah. this. And it really made what we thought was right, it, it, it benchmarked it. It was like, it is right. What yeah. we're doing is right. And I think for the guys listening to this or even watching this, they, they will maybe look at the tour pros and just expect them to be great in all these areas. So in all these screens, they would think, well, surely they're just athletes. They would pass all these. And I remember seeing some of the video footage of a lot of the pros and they would struggle with overhead deep squat, maybe a pelvic um, pelvic tilt or you know separation. It was like, well, they almost expect these guys to do it, but also they would expect some of the younger guys. So juniors, for instance, they think, well, because they're young, they're going to be flexible and yeah. they're going to be supple, but it's not the case, is it? You know, it's not. So many different sort of golfers and different ages and levels, they're very unique, aren't they? They are, and you know, a lot of the younger players today, you know, what you don't realize is when they're going through a growth spurt, you know, one arm is growing slightly faster than the other arm. So the muscles are often taut. They're, they're under stretch constantly. And so what you would think is a good athlete and a young 15-year-old comes in and you take him through, can you touch your toes? Can you do this? And they can't move. And you're going, this, this kid should be able to do everything. And, you know, vice versa, I get a 55, 60-year-old man that comes in or a lady that comes in and they can do all of this. Yeah. Right? And you're going, well, what's, what's the deal here? So understanding where people are in their lives and where they are and how they move. Can you correct movement patterns? Yes, you can. And there's experts that we have, TPI certified medical fitness that can build programming that can do that. And so I'm just trying to make people more aware of their body and not just for golf, but for life. Because we spend so much of our time today in a sitting position that it's, it shuts off your glutes, it creates tight hamstrings, it makes our hip flexes tight, we can't move our hips. And, and what I'm most worried about is the younger generation and this whole digital yeah. world we're in, right? Mm -hmm. Because you can always see the forward head posture, the poor posture, the slumped over posture. The, this is happening in our 11, 12 year olds. So the future for my medical group is yeah. great because you know what's happening. A lot of corrections is, to do. There's going to be a lot of upper thoracic problems in the future if we don't start making people more aware of this. No, so so change so right so right 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 so Let's do the rest of the podcast. Take from a deep this breath, position. people. Yep. So and, and look, I think there's obviously people listening to this are obviously going to want to get information on this, and we can we can go back to that later on. But for the, what are the main things that you see that amateur golfers? You mentioned obviously. The, the, the tightness caused by sitting down. Yes. Mean, we've heard Dave talk about this, you know, you could be in the fetal position yep. for, for 20 hours a day if you lay on your side and you're, yep. you're driving your car, you're sitting at your That's desk. Right. So to understand how to get rid of that, it's gonna be very difficult, but what sort of, let's, let's relate that to a golf swing. What yep. sort of things are we seeing when you're in this fetal position for 20 hours a day? Yep. How, what can that cause in your golf swing? What swing faults, for instance? Well, I mean, listen, there's a whole, uh, there's a whole group. The first thing is, is when, it, when you're sitting, your glutes are turned off. Your glutes are the biggest muscle group in your body, right? That's the stabilizer in the golf swing. So if I'm trying to stabilize my lower body and stop, say, a sway or a slide, I need my glutes to be active and my hips to be mobile so that I can rotate. So any of these lateral side-to-side -side movements you're seeing in your golf swing can be caused because the glutes aren't firing and your hips are tight. And that comes from a sitting position. 
any of this slouched over in front of the computer or in front of the television, a minute the thoracic spine gets rounded, it's hard to turn. So, I mean, you can try this right now if you just sit in your chair, if people are listening to this, mm -hmm. cross your arms, cross your chest, hunch your back as much as you can, and try and rotate. You're going to immediately feel restricted in your turn, right? Now, if you do the same thing with a nice flat back and rotate, you're going to be able to go 20, 30 degrees further right away. So just something simple like that to understand what posture is doing to you every day is huge when it comes to the golf swing. Because if I'm in the golf swing, if I'm required to have great shoulder mobility, but I show up to the golf course slumped over, that's going to be difficult. Most of the time, I'm going to stand up on my backswing, and then I have to recover from that position. Yeah, and we've heard you talk about a lot of the, you know, the glutes are the king, aren't they? They are, they the, are king. the king, yeah. I think one of the biggest things for the listeners as well is that for the majority of the guys listening to this, they understand now that golf is, it's an athletic game. So they need to be, well, the, the, the best players in the world are very physically fit now and they've generally got a workout program. Some of the guys who are listening to this might not have a workout problem, but it's still really important for these guys to actually just understand what they can physically do. And I think right. if they're having coaching from a golf pro, whoever it is, them having the information to take to this golf pro and, and, and say, well, look, these are the areas that I'm tight in. I might have a tight internal rotation in the trail hip or thoracic spine. And then that information then to give to that golf pro is so important because he's going to go, well, okay, I'm not going to even mess around with this. We'll yeah. find something to do to compensate around these limitations, limitations um, you know, and work with what you have physically as opposed to saying, well, let's really work hard on you trying to stop this sway when actually you're going to be sort of, you know, you're going to find a brick wall to sort of hit against, aren't you? Really? Yeah, so, you know, and, and the thing to remember, too, is even if you get on a workout program and you change the function of your body, it doesn't mean it's going to change your swing, mm -hmm. right? Because you've already developed this motor pattern, and this is where we get into the mental side a little bit, right, and some of the stuff we do with the, the, the SEAL teams here, which we'll talk about. But, you know, one of the big things that I see is people talk about muscle memory. Well, m muscles don't have memory. Your brain has memory. So what happens is you learn a motor program. You learn it by hitting balls, right? And if you learn an improper motor pattern, then it doesn't matter if I change your body. I've still got to change the way your brain fires that pattern. Otherwise, nothing's going to change. Yeah. And this also happens when we see injury. So even in the case like Tiger Woods, for instance, you know, one of the greatest players of all time, and you, you look at his swing, and, and listen, he's changed his swing and won with multiple coaches. I mean, it's amazing what, what he's done. But he's also had a lot of different injuries. So Tiger, you know, he's created these motor patterns around things, right? So if you get an injury and you take some time off like you did with his back injury, and then you come out again, now all of a sudden, your brain is still going to fire that pattern. But if the body can't respond, all of a sudden the ball goes everywhere. Now you might not be in pain anymore, but he's got to change that pattern. Yeah. And that's why this last time around, when he really did just shut it down and stop, it's kind of like letting the weeds grow in the backyard. If I let them grow long enough, you know, and then let all the grass grow and cut it down, it looks beautiful because all the brown patches have come in. That's kind of like your brain in that if you shut it down long enough where that motor pattern might be a little bit overgrown, now, when I come back, if I do it slowly, I can regrain a new motor pattern mm. or a new pathway. Yeah. And that is so valuable when you get people that have injuries or movement issues, is understanding that you can change something. You can physically go to the gym, get a trainer, lose 30 pounds, whatever it is, get stronger, faster. Doesn't mean you're going to change your golf swing. Yeah. You yeah. still need a golf coach to help you understand how to connect the dots. Yeah. And that's what great golf coaches do. 
I think it's, it's something that was evident when we first went through this as well, that the, the main thing, as Andy said earlier, is that it, it allowed us to understand a golfer. Yeah. It allowed us to understand. And whether that golfer then would go to our physio who we had in place, yes. you know, we would want that, obviously, in an exactly. ideal situation, but then that's another cast and it's another time slot in the week. So it's like, well, okay, at least we understand that now. So if it means we've got to close the stance of it or flare yes. the trail foot out, flare, flare the, the lead foot out, it gave us some tools on how to do this. But the, the key thing that's evident to me is that everybody is different. We've heard, we spoke to you before about someone like Adam Scott, who's very flexible, mm -hmm. who needs to almost train to, to, to actually gain some stability in his body almost. Rory yeah. McIlroy the same. Yes. You know, you see Dust, uh, Brooks Kepka the morning of winning the US Open yeah. doing heavy bench press exactly, you know, with yeah. Joey D. So, you know, you've got, and that's the thing I think with when you see something like that, and that post was brilliant because I know it brought up a lot of controversies with him doing that bench press. If he hadn't have won yeah. the US Open, it would have been, oh, because that. he was doing that. Right, yeah. So it's understanding what works for you because right. what Brooks Koepka did isn't going to work for another golfer, for John Rahm, yeah. for instance. Exactly, yeah. It, it, and that, that's what's most important is, is trying, you know, for, for golfers to get better. Listen, the other big factor is, to your point, what's going to make you play better golf, right? Don't lose sight of that. There's a lot of great instructors that have a tremendous knowledge about the body and the golf swing, right? There's lots of cool new methods and things that come out all the time. That doesn't mean that we should all run out and do it, but try it because you know what? For you, it might work perfectly, but don't get frustrated when it doesn't work because it might, it might just be that you can't move the way they want you to move. And that's why it's not working for you. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that what they're saying is wrong either. And I think sometimes the world gets a little cluttered in that space. So yeah. all I'm trying to do is sift through it, come up with a simple plan that helps you go play golf better. Yeah. Not swing the club better, no. play golf better. That's, yeah. that's the key. It all comes down then to what the customer wants, basically, doesn't out of their game. Do they, want, do they want to develop a body that can really sort of and they can change the golf swing, or do they just want to, you know, work with what they've got and play better golf on the weekend and enjoy it a bit more? So it's all down That's to right. that. That's right, and this is kind of, you know, what, what I've learned, you know, we've been fortunate in San Diego here, we have the Navy SEAL teams, right? And these are the elite, you know, these are elite athletes, these guys, and they're elite soldiers, and, and they get access to incredible training. And, and one such gentleman um, is a, has become a good friend of mine, and, and he wrote the Navy SEAL Sniper Training Program Manual, and uh, he's an expert on shooting. And he wrote this book that I read, and not that I'm gonna go out shooting, but I read this book because somebody <laughs> gave mess, it to don't me. Don't mess right? with Dave, yeah. Don't mess with <laughs> me. But I read this book, and I called him immediately. I go, this is the best golf instruction book I've ever read. And he starts laughing, and I'm like, he's like, why, it's about shooting. I'm like, no, it's about practicing. And that's what we miss, right? It was, these are the steps to retrain your brain so that when you go to the golf course, you can actually perform. And that to me was, was enlightening because going outside of my normal world into somebody else's world and then bringing something back that I'm applying now that's really seen a big change in my students has been amazing. So Dave, we saw you at the PGA Coaching Conference um, in Orlando and you very much talked about how you would get a guy practicing and only hitting 20 golf balls. Now, for the guys listening to this or watching this, <laughs> yeah. 20 golf balls in a practice session won't be enough for those guys. No, it won't. Talk but a little bit about you know, it. That, that was something I learned from uh, Chris Sinog, who's the, who's the Navy SEAL, and his book on shooting. Well worth reading that book, though. It is. It? It is you, I remember you said the story about getting off the flight and you know, I've got to call this guy. I, I did. And, and, you know, it was not what I expected at all. It was really about how you practice to change yeah. something. And that's what they do so well. 
and you know, with the Navy SEAL teams, a lot of times they get put in a situation where they need to learn something fast and they need to go do it tomorrow, right? So how do they do that? And I thought that that was an interesting piece of information that I could bring into golf. So one of the things they talked about, or Chris talked about in his book was um, lead lag measure. He goes, we have something called a lead lag measure. I was like, well, what does that mean? He goes, well, you know, what happens when somebody slices the golf ball? And I go, well, if somebody slices it, they, they usually look at it and they go, well, I want to fix that. And they probably aim a little bit more left and they still slice it, but now it's in play. He goes, well, that would be focusing on what we call a lag measure. In other words, you're focusing on something that's already happened. And what you need is a lead measure. You need something that comes before you step up to the golf ball to focus on that will stop that from happening. And so basically he asked me, well, what would you tell somebody? I go, well, I don't know, I'd need to see their swing. But he goes, well, give me one thing. I go, well, I might ask them to you know, bump their hips or keep their back to the target maybe a little bit longer so that their arms get down in front of them. He goes, okay, so here's what we would do. We'd take 20 golf balls. And I go, why 20? He goes, because that's about 20 minutes and 20 minutes about as much time if you do this right that you'll be able to focus before getting off track or getting fatigued. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah. He goes, most of the time, if you're really trying to create a motor pattern where you're thinking about it and connecting a feel to what's going on, after 20 minutes, you're going to get start to get tired. And if you do get tired and keep going, you're going to start to hit bad shots again, and you're going to start to do something else. And now you're not going to you're not going to trust what we told you, right? Yeah. So basically, he said, you take 20 balls, you take one ball out, and then what you do is you do a little practice swing with your bump or your back to the target. The coach looks at you and goes, that's what I want you to do. What does that feel like? The student will say, well, that feels like I'm sliding or whatever they say, as long as they're doing it right, it doesn't matter. Repeat it in what they say. Use their language, not yours. And then he said, have them get up to the ball, run their routine and hit a shot. He goes, but don't worry about where the ball goes. Doesn't, they could top it. They might slice it worse. Just make sure that they bumped. Okay, if they didn't grade them, okay, that was a 1 out of 10, or that was a 5 out of 10, or that was a 10 out of 10, that was a great bump. Have them do it again. And you go through the same process again. Okay, you got it, got it, go up, hit the shot, boom. And you do this 20 times. And he goes, after 20 times, you stop. Now, they could be hitting it great. And if they are, you still stop. Don't let them keep going. This is kind of like giving candy to the baby, right? They, they take it and they want more and you take it away. Well, they crave that. Mm -hmm. So the next day when they come back, they're gonna do the 20 ball drill again. And the next day they're gonna do it again. Now the next day they might not be with you, but they can rehearse it in their mind. They can go out in the backyard, they can do a bump. They can get in their office in front of a window or a mirror and do a bump 20 times slowly, thinking about what they're doing. He goes, if you do that after seven days, you will restart to channel that muscle memory, or not muscle memory, that mind memory, and you will start to develop a new motor program. And then when you go play, you're not thinking about slice, you're just going, oh, I just need to bump. And yeah. all of a sudden the slice will be gone, yeah. right? So it's, it's having this lead measure, not this lag measure that's so important. And I've been doing this with quite a few golfers and trying it, and it's amazing how well it works. Because a lot of us, this is what happens even on tour, like when we're working with good players. Tour player goes out to the driving range, they've got their hour and a half, or they're after the round and they want to practice because something's not right. And they'll start going and they might get track man out or one of the launch monitors and they'll figure it out. And now they're excited because they've fixed it and they'll keep going. Well, I'm going to get this. I, I got, there's plenty of daylight less. We're going to hit more. Now they'll get to a point where they get fatigued and all of a sudden they'll hit a bad one and then they'll hit another bad one. And then all of a sudden the brain will go, eh, 
maybe what we're working on really wasn't right, and maybe I don't have it, and now they start to regress. So all of this good work they put in, which was about 20 minutes long, has now been destroyed. Yeah. And they're right back to being in a funk and doing the same thing that they were doing before. It's interesting, yeah. isn't it? Because we got, there's a player we coach who's on European tour and he just won just recently actually, which is fantastic for him. But he doesn't, he spends a lot less time on the range now hitting golf balls. For him, it's more of a warm up thing mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, learning, learning a skill. But all his time then goes into his strategy on the golf course and things like that. And That's I think cool. we're looking at that with, with a lot of players from the point of, injuries as well yep. maybe they think well hang on a bit if i go out there and bash five hours worth of golf balls a day that's going to injure me whereas yeah. as you say how much good are they really doing i i agree i think you know the, the the driving range you know most guys warm up and then they go play and then they come back to the range and you know it used to be they would just be there all day and now you're seeing better programming so you know you you see great teams around guys like justin rose number one in the world right now and his team amazing group of guys that mm. he's got around them and have built a specific plan as we all do for our players that we work with we, we have teams around them when we build these plans and as long as the player buys into the team concept they can go as high as they want if the player doesn't or the team doesn't talk to each other that's a bad situation as well yeah. and i see that when i see players struggling a lot of times you know the mental coach isn't talking to the golf instructor or the fitness player or fitness professional or the medical guy and there's no communication. If there's no communication, that's going to hurt the player long term. Mm. Yeah, and I think for the guys who are listening or watching this, if you ask them, and again, what you were talking about there, Dave, really is the intensity and the purposeful practice that you're talking about. So when you've got these 20 golf balls and you're taking your time, you're really ingraining and really using and engaging the brain a lot mm. more compared to what a typical practice session would be like where they just hit a ball, af ball after ball with yeah. a a so small level of intensity that's not really changing any any motor patterns and I think yeah. for the guys who are listening to this that's probably the majority of those guys well it is and, and you know we've all heard the adage when when we talk to amateur golfers is that man I hit it great on the driving range but I just can't take it to the golf course that right there if you can't take what you're doing you then your practice is wrong yeah. you don't know mm. how to practice right because if you do and you understand how to practice you should be able to walk out on that golf course and be ready to go yeah right and that's really this new phase that we're going into as golf instructors which is neuroscience understanding the brain understanding learning habits and creating better practice programming because if we do that and I could say hey what if I just told you that 20 minutes or 20 balls is all you need and I can fix anything you've got? Well, that would, I think most people would give me 20 minutes, yeah, right? Yeah. It's kind of like joining the gym and thinking that you're going to change instantly. It takes time, but if you dedicate a certain amount of time to going and starting something and you follow through, you'll make a change. Yeah, so it's less golf balls, more intensity. Yep. And most of the guys will, will be going to the range knowing what they need to work on, yes. but not really putting in that deep, deep practice that's going to sort of give them and, and create that change that they can then take on the golf course. That's right. And, and we all need feedback, right? But what most people think is, oh, I got to get a golf professional to give me feedback. No, you don't. Your best friend, your, your son, your daughter can give you feedback. As long as they know that, hey, we're working on not bending the arm or I'm working on a bump, anybody can watch whether I'm bumping. Just show them yeah. good and bad and go, hey, would you mind watching me for a few minutes to see if I'm doing this? You need feedback. You know, I use a little camera called the Live View Golf Camera, yeah, which that. is great for feedback. And I, I love using that because it, it connects to my iPhone. I can put my iPhone down on the ground in front of me, and then from a downline view, I can set up a template, and it records every shot I hit, and I see it immediately. And I know, did I do it that time or did I not? So rather than waste my time just beating golf balls, not knowing whether I do it or yeah. not, 
Because let's face it, when you get on track, and even the best players in the world, if you have them hit 10 seven irons, every number is different. Mm -hmm. Not one time, you can look out there and the balls are in a little, you know, little grouping around the hole. Every single number on TrackMan will be different. Every time, yeah. mm -hmm. right? So this is what I'm saying is that they micro change elite level players. They, can, they have these micro changes. You know, they can feel it coming down. They can square the face. They can roll the toe. They can, you know, expose the heel. They can, they can feel it. It's incredible. It's like a, it's like a music, you know, an expert with a musical instrument. They can yeah. feel the little sensations. And most of us can't, right? But it's those little micro changes that you're constantly making, understanding how they create the big picture that's so important. So it's, so it's interesting. We've, we spoke about practice there, which obviously we know is huge. What about when they're on a golf course, amateur golfers that you're seeing now and working with and obviously the science that's around and just actually a quick one, I'm just going to go back a bit. Yep. Is it interesting, 15 years ago when we were all learning, mm -hmm. it was golf instruction, golf instruction, golf instruction, no, sorry, technique, technique, yeah. techniques. But now it's like, well, okay, you go to a seminar now and you see the technique stuff, of course you do, but then you do see a lot more on the mind stuff as well. So it's, it's definitely going that yep. way. But So how can anyone watching this, listening to this, take into maybe a pre-shot routine or yeah. something like that onto the golf course? What sort of things do they need to be looking at? Well, I, I think the, the, the key area is you, you've got to get your mind focused on where you want the ball to end up, right? Mm -hmm. And too many people are focused on how to move their body to hit the ball to make it go there, right? And that's a bad situation. We all know that if you, if you say somebody, well, when you played your best, what were you thinking? Most people are like, well, I can't even remember. I wasn't, right? But to me, I think you have to be realistic about where you are, the kinds of shots you should hit, which, believe it or not, most amateurs aren't. You know, you get an amateur for 125 yards and they hit it 15 feet away and they think that's a bad shot. Yeah. Whereas if you look at the PGA Tour average, mm -hmm. it's the same thing, right? So you gotta be realistic. Um, so what I, I try and do when I get out on the golf course is make them understand they're good clubs and they're not so good clubs. What's a good club? Can I choke down on the good club and hit a shot rather than pick out a club that isn't the one you really like? And, and create this comfort zone where they, they know the areas. I'm trying to hit it in that space. What's the best club you have in your bag to do that? Not necessarily, well, I can hit seven iron 190 yards, right? It's, you know what, a little five iron choke down, little cut, little fade, little draw will get me into that space. So it's really making them understand what's in their bag and how to use it to get their best score. And yeah. if they do that and focus on where the ball needs to end up, I think that they'll get better. Yeah, sort of. Uh, I, I suppose that's I suppose that's TPI's approach throughout, isn't it? It's working exactly with what the player can do and the strengths, and using using the best of their abilities for for those shots. I suppose. Yeah, I mean, um, how many times I played in the pro am where someone's pulling out a hybrid in a fairway bunker, and you're like, no, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? You know, I know Tiger Dish did it, but yeah. you're not doing it. You know, what you need is let's get it back out and play. Yeah. Can we get it 50 yards? Because we've got a bread and butter seven iron that we're really good at that'll get me on the green yeah. from there. And it's just understanding. I mean, most players, especially amateur golfers, if they get a playing lesson, they will shave more shots off 100%. their round than any lessons they ever take throughout the year. Yeah. So if you really want to know what to do, go play with a golf pro, even if it's nine holes, five holes, whatever. Go play with somebody better than you and then afterwards go, what would you have done differently? Yeah. And that's the thing. The, for, the thing for us is we can never assume that they know that they shouldn't be hitting that rescue, that hybrid, out of that fairway bunker. Exactly. And, and yeah, we, we've all done it. We've all been on a golf course and gone, you're not going to do it. No, don't do that. Don't do really? That. Are you going to do that? <laughs> do you think we can ever change that, though? I'm just thinking about this, and you think, well, 
when we, when we go out with some of our guys on the golf course and we know that if we walk around with our guys, we know we're going to save them a lot of shots by just planning their way around, thinking a little differently and, and just watching what they do. And, um, but how can, we, how can we actually make sure that they do? It's such a hard thing for them to do because, it first is. of all, it's quite boring to hit something and lay up and hit it into it that is. spot. It's a good point. Um, it is a very difficult thing to change their mentality. They want to be, they're aspiring to, to hit this great shot out of the bunker and like the, they watch on mm -hmm. TV. So to play a safety shot and get it back in play, which is the right decision generally mm -hmm. for them, yes. it's a hard it's a hard thing to do to be able to change it, their it mentality is, to that. It is, but I think proof is in the pudding, right? So to me, you know, like I remember playing when I was a kid, they used to take the, the pins out of the, the greens, right? And you'd go out there and you'd be playing late in the evening and you'd be like, oh, there's no pins. And then you just start aiming at the middle of the green. You'd have some of the best rounds ever. Yeah. Because now you're on every green because you aimed for the middle of it. And, you know, nine times out of ten, you weren't that far away from the hole. But the minute we put this target out there, we get locked in and focused. And sometimes that's why I say, you know, a broader area of let's just try this. Because if I show them in nine holes that look how many shots better you played by adopting this strategy. Yeah. And, you know... Listen, there's always that time when you might be feeling great, like, I think I can pull this off. Sure, go ahead and do it. Mm. But if you're trying to play for score, exactly. let's really think about what's in your wheelhouse. Right? Yeah. yeah, you've got to be disciplined, haven't you? Yeah, indeed, yeah. Indeed. got to yeah. be disciplined. So, all right, we're nearly done. Now, we ask this of everybody. Mm -hmm. Now, this is going to be really hard for Dave because you've tested the majority of these guys on this. So we actually like to build an ultimate golfer. Wow. So who is the guy? I think we should actually mix it up a little bit. So we're going to go with your driver. I want the longest guy you've seen, okay. who's a good player. Okay. The straightest, or the or let's go longest driver, and then the best driver. Okay. Best iron player, best wedge player, and then best. So this is over all time or oh, you now? Can, all time. All time. All time. Wow. Anybody. But it'd be good for you to tell. You don't tell them these things. Before and also go. No let's time let's to think. go best. Uh, best mindset as well. Yeah. Best guy mentally. So who's, who's your power driver? Power driver today, I'd, I'd, I'd have to say Rory McIlroy. I mean, watching him when he's on, it's impressive. Mm -hmm. Like, not only is he explosive for his height. I mean, I remember when Rory first came here when he was younger, 17, 18 years old, we were told by Padraig Harrington that this guy's special, and he was special. And he is special, and, and you know, what he's accomplished is, is amazing, right? And I, I think he's going to go on and become a, a very dominant player. He is a, a power player. For his size and the ability to create that kind of force, it's impressive. We, we watched him and Dustin Johnson have a long drive yep. contest and DJ beating with the last shot by one yard. Yeah, exactly. And you put them in a ring, it's a very different situation. Yeah. You put them in the exactly. octagon, you know, it's, it, there's no contest. So it's, it is amazing that he gets everything out of his body. He does. I mean, you know, total driving, right now I'd, I'd have to be kind of on John Ram's bandwagon. Yeah, we I agree mean, with that. There's not a lot that's wrong there. Um, he's got a powerful lower body, a short swing that will, will do him well down the stretch. There's not a lot of moving parts there. So, and, you know, he hits it solid with a little cut. And yeah, I think the last couple of years he's been one or two or, or within the top five in total driving. So that's your total so driving. Th those are my two guys, I think, in the driving category. Okay. Yep. Irons. Irons, you got to say Tiger Woods is the greatest iron player I've ever seen. Mm. I mean, you know, I... I fortunate when I was younger to watch some other guys like Johnny Millers and who were great iron players, Tom Watson, great iron player. Nick Price was a great iron player. The way he struck the ball was amazing. But if you look at Tiger for the length of time he's been out there, you can see why he's been so good. His distance from the hole, he's always around pin high. Mm. 
and he just strikes irons. I mean, if, if you think about it, not being the most accurate driver ever, to look at his iron stats and yeah. how many times he's led that category, mm -hmm. he's the best iron player. Plus, plus he shapes it so much as well. He you does. know, high, low, right, left, he does it all, doesn't yeah. he? And still gets the distance, as you say. I remember, I remember seeing a stat on him, I think it might have been 2006, which is one of his dominant years. I think it was one of his later, later dominant years. And he was like, I think it was a, the category was 175 to 200, and he was like 21 feet from the hole. Yeah. And then you go, oh, that's pretty good. And then the second place was 24 feet from the hole. So you go, oh, it's only three feet better. Yeah. But then everybody from up to 50th yeah. was still in the 24 feet and 25 feet. Yeah. So he was three feet better than everybody in that area. So it just showed you the big difference between him and those with that with that average, for instance. Yeah, yeah. That's a pretty good shot. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm liking yeah. the look of this golfer. So what about a wedge player? Wedge player, that's, that's an unusual one because there's so many different techniques, right? So to me, I, I've never seen anybody hit wedges like Phil Mickelson. I mean, his ability to shape them, move them, is like nothing you've ever seen. I mean, not only does he have, if you go on YouTube and look at the top 10 escapes, mm -hmm. it's usually he's got seven of them, you mm -hmm. know? And his ability to do that is amazing. I mean, the two guys I'd put in that category for me would be Padraig Harrington and Phil, because Padraig is another amazing wedge player, totally different techniques, but amazing control with the golf ball. And then if you go back to when we were a little bit younger, I mean, we all idolize Sebi. We still do today. I posted a little video of him that I took in, I think back at Bay Hill in 1998, and in one hour it got 50,000 views, and it mm. was just one little lob shot. So <laughs> even today, you can see the following he yeah. had and the impression he had. And even on those guys that are younger than him, the Phil Mickelsons, they will talk about, they will have a Seve story. But yeah. if you look at somebody that's still, still playing extremely well today, I mean, Phil's control, his ability to spin it, his ability to flight it at different flights and curve it, there's nobody better, I think, at, at wedge play than him. That's pretty decent. Can't disagree with that, can you, really? Yeah. All right, we've got a putter then. Putters, uh, you know, again, it becomes one of these things where I go back a little bit in putting because I, I got to be around and watch Ben Crenshaw putt, and it was incredible, the speed control. You know, the, it's hard to have one in that category. Again, I've watched Brad Faxon where for 10 years he was the number one putter on tour, but the one constant that I think with the best putters in the world is speed control. They had amazing speed control. Brad always looked like if it was gonna miss, it was gonna be a tap-in. It was never 10 feet by, yeah. right? And I think that that's the thing that most people don't realize with putting. There's a lot of technology today. There's a lot of green reading experts. There's a lot of cool stuff around putting. But if you can't roll at a consistent speed, it doesn't matter about any of those other things. They're not gonna work. Pretty good. Perfect. The player, we got, we got the, we got the mind. mindset. Okay, mindset, last best one. one mentally. Then who you, who, you, who you see? <laughs> Jeez, man, you know, mentally, one. you you got to go back to Jack Nicklaus. I mean, I think that Jack Nicklaus. You know, I I grew up with golf my way and reading his you know cartoon comic books and and you know thinking about what he was able to do, and and it's just incredible. Like his his mindset about I never pulled the trigger until I saw the shot. I still think today, if there's anything Jack did better than anybody else, it was that. Now, have there been players after him that are in that realm? Yeah, I mean, you know, I look at Nick Faldo that always, when he was in his prime there, he always swung within himself. He was a big guy that was never known for power, but he hit his irons when he said he was gonna hit at 156, 157, he did. And he didn't try and overpower golf courses. If you look at when Nick Faldo won his six majors, the British Opens and the Masters, 
It was run around precision, being in the right place on the green. Not necessarily the best shot, being, being in the right place. And so his mental capability was extremely good. And then, you know, I look at Tom Kite. I mean, Tom Kite's mental was amazing. I mean, you know, Tom Kite led birdies. Uh, you think about Augusta National. I think the stat was from like 1983 to 1993. Nobody birdied the par fives as many times as Tom Kite mm. without ever going for them in two. Like his mental mindset to go, I'm going to lay back to 80 and I'm going to come in and I'm going to out birdie you on the yeah. par fives. That's incredible. Yeah. Right. He's another one who's amazing wedge player as well, wasn't he? He was. I mean, and, and, you know, he, he kind of had to be because he yeah. didn't have all the other attributes, mm. right? He didn't have the power. Um, but he got the most out of it. Like, you know, when we, way back when we had launch monitors for the first time, if you looked at smash factor and ability to find the center of the face, there was nobody that optimized their spin numbers better than Tom Kite. So for the speed he had, he got everything he could out of it. Yeah. And another incredible iron player as a wedge player as well. His, his uh, greens and regulation numbers were insane. Some decent players there. decent Some golfers decent there. There were. Sure. Little so, so Dave, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thanks for having us here again. Th you know, thank you. We'd love to thank you because you've been a big part of, of our coaching and our, and our sort of coaching career and the work that you do for the golf industry and trying to help grow the game is amazing. So I'm sure there's, there's lots of exciting things. What is next for you guys? You know, we're, we're, we're kind of in that phase now where we've built an incredible base. Um, I'm trying to get out to the, the golf community that you know, there's this great group of individuals. I mean, we have 23,000 TPI certified experts out there in 62 countries. We educate in seven different languages. So as much as you might think, hey, where do I get physically screened? Where do I get tested? Guess what? There's going to be somebody close to you out there. And all you have to do is go on mytpi.com. There's a zip code or a country code, or you could even put in your country or your city. And somebody's going to pop up on that radar not too far away from you. So if I could empower anything in golf, it's to have somebody take a look. Take yeah. a look at your body so that you're not wasting your time and figure out what's best for you so that you can enjoy this golf game for life because it's an amazing game. Yeah, we'd strongly recommend that as well, really. If you can just, and it's so easy to find somebody as well. You go it on is. there and just type in that and then, like yeah. I say, go and find somebody who can take a look at you and at least give you an understanding of what you can do. Yeah, and I, I'd like to thank you guys. I mean, you've been an inspiration to me. It's great to see two guys, you know, that, that were in our original classes do what you guys have both done and for golf and for the industry i think you do an amazing job your content's great and if there's anything we can do to help you let us know thank Perfect. you very thank much you. Cheers, Dave. thank you thanks cheers we're just checking to see whether you're actually noticing but we've got the quote we're so do you have a quote that you i do have a favorite quote. Or, i okay. do have a favorite quote it's actually amazing because it's by audrey hepburn wow and the quote was that nothing is impossible the very word impossible says I'm possible. There we go. There we go. Love that. It's pretty That's cool. a good one. Thank you so much for listening to the Me and My Golf podcast. We hope you enjoyed that and got some value from that. And if you did, then please share that episode with a friend. And if you can do us a real big favor and head over to iTunes and leave us a review. It really does help this podcast grow and reach more golfers. And our mission is to help as many golfers around the world as we can play some better golf so it really would mean a lot to us one question that we get asked a lot is andy pierce how can we get coaching from you well now you can have myself and pierce as your very own personal online golf coach and we've created a, a platform that infuses our coaching experience and philosophy into a fantastic community that's packed full of 
weekly videos that will really help transform your golf. We've got coaching plans on specific areas in the game. We have a shot fixer section, which really enables you to fix your faults fast so you can see results immediately on the golf course. And we really want to build a, a tribe of golfers that are committed to playing the best golf of their lives. And like I say now, this is the closest thing that you're going to experience to get me and Pierce on the lesson tee with you. And we'd love to have you part of this fantastic community. So head over to meandmygolf.com and look, have a go. We have a 14-day free trial that you can take advantage of, see what it's like. And if it fits right for you, then fantastic. And we'll hope to see you there. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time on the Me and My Golf podcast.